So I read a story about a woman. This woman, she was known for her infidelity. In fact, she had five failed marriages, five divorces, and things got really bad in her community. People began to kind of ostracize her. Um, They branded her as an outcast because of her marital status, her marital issues. She felt it so much that she would actually leave town, go to the outskirts of town in order to do her shopping. Her life was kind of hopeless. I read another story about a couple, and they were expecting a new baby, and on the day of the birth, they found out they were having a boy. And what they thought was a fully healthy boy, come to find out that this boy couldn't see. He was completely blind. And in this culture, blindness was very difficult. So this boy would grow up and not be able to contribute to this society, and so he too was ostracized, became a beggar on the streets, living on the streets. He was hopeless. I know of a guy who had a beautiful baby girl, and then he had a boy as well, but he had made some really poor choices in his life. Because of his choices, he had to give up his boy. He got into some really hard drugs. In fact, because of that, he lost his whole family. He lost his home. He began living on the streets, lost everything he had, would wake up sick in the morning only to try to get his next high, completely hopeless. Have you ever experienced hopelessness? Maybe you're a teenager in this place this morning and you're kind of hopeless right now. Even though you live in the most connected world we've ever had in history, you've got your phone and you can connect via social media and texting and all those things. From the outside looking in, people might think that you're really connected, you have a lot of community, but in reality, You feel empty and hopeless. Maybe you're in the last stages of your life in here this morning. And you're feeling empty. You're feeling hopeless because you fear death. You fear what's next. And as you really think over the course of your life, you've not really lived. So that gives you a sense of hopelessness. Maybe for you, you've had just so many devastating things happen in your life, one after another. And because of those things, you've asked God some questions, some tough questions, like, God, why? Why is this happening to me? Why why do I see all this evil in the world? Why have you dealt me such a bad hand, God? And in, in this moment right now, you're hopeless. Maybe even for some of you, if people were to look at your life from the outside, they may think that you are full of hope. You've got a great house, you've got a nice car, and you've got a beautiful wife, you've got a 401k, you've got two and a half kids, but you just have this sense of emptiness as well. You're without hope. I pray, and I would like to think that that no one in here is experiencing hopelessness right now, but undoubtedly in a room this size, There are people who are experiencing hopelessness every single day. And if you're not experiencing hopelessness, you probably have experienced it at some point in your life. And undoubtedly, the vast majority of us know someone personally right now who is drowning in hopelessness. If you don't have hope, would you want to know how you could receive hope today? And if you do have hope, if you're full of hope, 
Would you want to know how you could share hope to those around you? Well, to wrestle with these questions, I would invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 39. We say this every Sunday, but if you don't have a Bible, the Bible there in front of you in the pew back is yours to keep. We believe that if you get into God's word, that God's word will get into you and it will transform your life. So we would love for you to take that. Take it home. Read it. Now, before I jump in to, uh, to today and week three of our series called Share Hope, uh, before I bri- briefly recap where we've been the past couple of weeks and as we look towards today's message, I want to make something absolutely crystal clear for all of us so that we're all on the same page. When we say share hope in this sermon series, what we mean is share Jesus, okay? Share Jesus. Hope equals Jesus, Jesus is our only hope. Oftentimes in our culture, though, what we'll do is is we'll confuse hope with some sort of wishful thinking. Like I said yesterday, I hope that the Indiana Hoosiers win the Big Ten in football this year. That's wishful thinking because it's not going to happen, right? All right, some of you might be sitting there saying, I hope that Pastor Nate, next time he preaches, will keep his message under 30 minutes so I can go pick up my kids on time. Not going to happen, okay? That is wishful thinking. But that's not, that's not what I'm talking about here today. Sometimes, too, we can get this idea that we will feed someone hope just to make them feel better. Give them a false sense of hope. When they're experiencing hardship, when life is tough, we just tell them, oh, life's going to get better. Your experiences are going to get easier. And that's not always the case. But we say that actually to make ourselves feel better. That's not the type of hope I'm talking about. When we say share hope, we mean share Jesus, okay? Share Jesus. So today, as I walk through this text, and as you're looking at your listening guide there, every time you see the word hope, you can just put Jesus right in there, and that's what I mean, okay? So with that said, past couple of weeks, we've been able to walk through a couple different passages in the book of Luke. Pastor Nate, he did a fantastic job for us. The first week, we went through Luke chapter 6, And there we hear Jesus speaking. He gives his listeners some imperatives, and he gives them a really hard one when he says, love your enemies. Share hope with your enemies. And for us, that means share Jesus with your enemies. Last week, we looked at the beginning of Luke chapter 8, and here um, we uh, saw Jesus speaking in a parable, and Pastor Nate told us how a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly implications, and we unpacked the parable of the sower. And in both of these passages, I would say that Jesus was telling his audience to listen carefully. Listen carefully. My words give life. Hear them, really hear them, and then go and do them, obey them. However, when we get to Luke chapter 8 and verse 22, And while we won't cover this passage, uh, this part where Jesus calms the storm, when we get there, Jesus goes from saying, listen carefully to watch closely. Watch closely. Jesus is saying, not only will I tell you about the kingdom of God, but I will show you as well. And so I trust that you found your way to Luke chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 26. And I'm going to draw your attention to the story of what many people call the story of a mad man. Now, at first glance, it would be easy for us, many of us in this room, to say, I cannot relate to this guy at all. However, 
I want to spend the rest of our time this morning unpacking, unpacking four stages that this man really goes through. And I, and I think you'll see that we can relate a lot more than we think. First, we see that the man-man, the madman lives without hope. First, we see that he lives without hope. Let's read Luke chapter 8, beginning verse 26. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, and he fell down before him. And he said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So Jesus, along with his compatriots, they go to the other side of the lake. They leave Galilee, and they're now going to the land of the Gerasenes. They're leaving Jewish land, and they're going to Gentile land or non-Jewish land. It's here that they meet a man who is more at home with the dead than he is with the living. This man is living without hope. This man is living without Jesus. And let's look and see how Luke describes this man. It says the man's possessed by demons, and he is naked, which means he's without clothes. He's alone, so he's without community. He's homeless. He is without shelter. And he's dangerous. He is without reasons. We see these attributes of this man, and we think, again, I'm nothing like this guy. Yet, let me tell each and every one of us, in our sin, before we meet Jesus, we are in the same condition as this man. Sin exposes us as naked in our guilt. Sin causes us to be alienated from others. Sin makes us wander, lose stability and safety. Sin makes us violent, if not in our actions, then certainly in our hearts. And in our sin, we walk among the dead. Let me tell you, every one of us in here, before we met Jesus, we all lived among the tombs. We're all living among the dead. It even goes on in verse 29. says that this man was kept under guard, bound in shackles and in chains. And if you look over at Mark's account, he has a parallel account of this story. He says that the madman was actually crying and cutting himself with stones. This demon-possessed man, by these demons, he was having seizures. He was inflicting self-harm. He was held captive. Again, it's easy for us to think that we can't relate. While you may not be demon-possessed in our sin, we are all held captive, and we're all living without hope, living without Jesus. But fortunately, the story doesn't end there. Next, we see that the demon-possessed man encounters hope. Encounters hope. Let's pick up in verse 30. It says, Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him, the demons, they begged him, Jesus, not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man, and they entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. 
So this, this man who is possessed by demons, he encounters Jesus. Jesus goes up to the man. He says, hey, what is your name? And whoever is in charge of speaking for the demons says legion or we are legion. Now, at this time in the Romans, in the Roman culture, a legion for the Roman army would be up to 6,000 soldiers. We find out in Mark's account that there were at least 2,000 pigs. So that means there are anywhere from 2,000 to 6,000 demons that are living inside of this man. And real quickly, I want to break down for you what demons are so we're all on the same page. Demons are fallen angels. They were created for the glory of God, but rather they chose to follow after Satan. Now demons torment God's creation of man. Unfortunately, you've got many people in our culture, especially, that ignore spiritual forces. They suggest that demons are not real. Unfortunately, you've also got other people that overemphasize demonic activity, and they'll actually say that every sin or every psychological disorder comes from demon possession. But I think that both of these, both of these extremes are hurtful to our faith. But here is what is clear in Scripture, is, is that demons are very much real. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, it says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but rather against the spiritual forces of what? Of evil. Now, you may be asking this question. Why do the demons ask Jesus not to torment them? Why do they ask Jesus not to torment them? And here's a few reasons. One, because Jesus is good. Jesus is good. Two, the demons know that Jesus has a right to judge them, and that day would eventually come. They ask him not to send them to the abyss. Now, the abyss is also known as the place of the dead in Romans 10, 7. It's also known as the bottomless pit in Revelation 20, 1 through 3. And the demons know about the abyss. It's likely that they were from there, and they don't want to go back. So the demons, they beg Jesus not to go back, at least not yet, and they give Jesus an alternative. They say, Jesus, hey, instead of sending us back to the abyss, you see all these pigs over here? Will you put us into these pigs? And of course, we find out that Jesus, he grants them this request. He grants them this request. Let me tell you a little bit about pigs before, we, before I tell you why Jesus grants this request. A couple of things we need to understand. One, Jesus does not destroy the pigs. The demons do. Two, hog farming in the Israelite culture and the, the culture of the Jewish people was against the law of Moses. We see this in Leviticus 11:7. And pigs were considered unclean animals. But we also got to remember that we're not in Jewish land. We're in Gentile land. And so you have all these herdsmen that are using these pigs for profit or for gain. So now, why does Jesus grant these demons their request and not send them back to the abyss, but allow them to enter into the pigs? This is really important, so lean in on this. The answer is that Jesus wanted to show that he was God, that he was deity. And he demonstrated his power through these pigs. Without them, the, all the people around would not have been able to see what was happening in the supernatural world. 
They wouldn't be able to physically see. But this way, Jesus showed his power. Again, he said, watch closely. I'm going to show you that I'm not only the king over the physical world by calming the winds and the waves like I just did, but I'm also the king and I'm the ruler and I have authority over all the supernatural and the spiritual world. And he showed them by taking these demons out of this man and putting them into the pigs. When you encounter Jesus, if you have encountered Jesus, not only will he affect your mental, emotional, and physical state, but he'll also impact your spiritual state. He will affect you spiritually. This is very important. Earlier I mentioned a woman. I told you I'd read a story about a woman who um, wasn't known so well around the town. She had had five divorces, um, known for her infidelity. But one day, while she was out, wanting to get water on the outskirts of town, she meets Jesus. She encounters Jesus. You can read about this in John chapter 4. But she was looking for water. She was looking for something that would help her physical needs. But she met Jesus, and he offered her something so much more. Instead of offering water, her water from the well, the account from John tells us that he offers her living water And it says that she'll never be thirsty again, and she receives eternal life in Jesus. Her encounter with Jesus led her to eternal life. Have you encountered hope? Have you encountered this Jesus? You see, the madman and the woman at the well, they were both living completely without hope. But they encountered hope because they encountered Jesus. Let's go back to Luke 8. Third, we see how the madman has been transformed by hope. So not only is he living without hope, he's living without Jesus his entire life, but finally he encounters hope. He encounters Jesus there among the tombs, and then he is transformed by hope. Let's pick up in verse 34. It says, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and they told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, Jesus, clothed and in the right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. So just as a reminder, before the madman had met Jesus, he was naked, didn't have any clothes, he was Alone, he was without community, he was homeless, without shelter, he was dangerous, without reason, and he was walking among the tombs, he was living among the dead. Now let's look, let's look and see what Luke says. After his encounter with Jesus, he's transformed by hope, and now he sits at the feet of Jesus. He is no longer naked, but he's clothed. He is no longer alone, but he's with Jesus. He is no longer homeless, but it says that he goes to live in the city. He is no longer dangerous, but he's now in his right mind. He is no longer walking among the tombs, but now he will walk among the saints, and he will walk among Jesus Christ, the ruler of all. Love in verse 36, the word used for healed there is actually the word we use for saved. And I truly believe that this man was not only physically healed, but he was spiritually saved and believed in Jesus. Have you been transformed by hope? Have you been transformed by the power of Jesus? As I said earlier, Jesus, he's the Lord of all that is natural, and he is the Lord of all that is supernatural. So what do you need to be freed from this morning? What do you need to be saved from? Because Jesus has power over sin. Jesus has power over demons. Jesus has power over Satan. 
In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, it says this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Let's go back to another story I shared earlier. I talked about the couple who had the baby boy who was born without sight. He was born blind. And in that culture, he really couldn't contribute to society. And so he became a beggar. Fast forward several years, and this man is out begging on the streets. And who does he encounter? Jesus. You can read about this one in John chapter 9. He had, this man, this beggar, had spent his whole life drowning in hopelessness. Then he encountered Jesus. And again, this, Jesus heals this man of his physical needs. He heals him of his blindness. In verse 32, we read this. It says, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. But again, this man was transformed so much more than his physical needs. He was transformed by hope. He was transformed by his encounter with Jesus. And in that same text, it says that this man believed in the Son of God. He believed in Jesus, and now he has eternal life with Jesus as well. Have you been transformed by this hope? Have you been transformed by Jesus? Because listen, friends, Jesus gives sight to the blind. He gives healing to the broken. He gives freedom to the enslaved. He gives hope to the hopeless. Finally, we witness how this man responds to hope. So the man possessed by demons, he lives his life without hope, without Jesus. Jesus comes to him. Jesus comes to him. He encounters Jesus. And then everything changes. He is transformed by this hope. He is freed of these demons. He gives his life to Jesus. And let's look how he responds. Let's pick up in verse 37. It says, Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he, Jesus, got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying this. I love this. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The miracle shows Jesus' deity, that he is God. And this man has a complete, comprehensive transformation, completely changed. Someone that received salvation, and his response is that he is going to go and tell others what Jesus had done for him. Fortunately, in this text, though, it's not the only response we see, is it? There are two different responses. Unfortunately for us in this world and in this room, we all have one of these two responses. The one response could be just like the herdsmen. They saw what Jesus had done. They saw that he took the demons and he had power over all of the supernatural world. But instead, what happened? They were afraid and they asked Jesus to leave. Are you afraid of Jesus? Have you encountered Jesus before and you said, no, go away, Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't want communion. I don't want community with you. I don't want a relationship with you. But fortunately, we've got the other response. The madman, he tells others what had happened. He goes, he is a witness for the gospel. He's a witness to the glory of God because what Jesus had done for 
him. We have one of two responses. We say no, too afraid. In fact, Jesus, I, I want you to leave because I'm afraid if, if you're around me too much, you actually might change me. You might change me. Is that, is that you in this place this morning? Are you willing to let Jesus into your life? Give up some of the things that you own? It's likely that some of these herdsmen, they saw what Jesus had done and think, man, Jesus, how is it that you got rid of all of my livelihood in these pigs? And so they're upset. But let me ask you this. Could we be more burdened for people's lives, for people's lives to be transformed than we are for our work and for profit? What might Jesus be asking you to give up so that others might know him? Jesus tells this man who was possessed by demons to go in to tell others what happened. He said, the hope that you have received, go and tell it to others. You see, the gospel, friends, came to you, if you know Jesus, came to you, and it should be going to someone else. It should be making its way to someone else. If we're followers of Jesus, we have a lot to say about what God has done in our lives. There's a guy in our church that has a lot to say about what Jesus has done for him. I mentioned him earlier. I told you about the third story, a man who I knew that had a, a baby girl, and he had a baby boy, and, and when that boy was born, he had to give up his son because he was so focused on the world and drugs completely took over his life. He ended up losing everything. He, he lost his home. He lost his family for a while. He lived on the streets. He woke up every day thinking, only thing I care about is how I can get high today. But thank God the story doesn't end there. Because someone who had received hope responded to that hope, responded to Jesus by sharing this hope with this guy. This guy, he said, yes, to Jesus. Even though he had lived so long without knowing hope, he encountered Jesus and he said, yes. And God transformed him from the inside out so much so that now he wants to share that hope with others. You see, they recognized in their lives, you know, this man, he, he met, a, met a girl who also didn't know Jesus. And together they recognized that they were sinners. They recognized that they needed to repent and turn away from their sin and follow after Jesus to say yes to hope. And now they are on fire for Jesus because they have repented and believed. They, they believed in Jesus' death on the cross. They believe that they have the, re the reward from his resurrection from the grave. And they have been transformed by Jesus' power. And they're seeing it every single day. Since then, this couple, they have been baptized. And just this past month, they became members here at Graceland. They're on fire for Jesus. And they're sharing the hope that they have in him. Amen. You see, friends, sharing hope is not just sharing an idea. It's sharing a person. Sharing hope is not just sharing a better way to live. It's about sharing a relationship with the author of life. Sharing hope is not just giving trips or tip, tips and tricks in order to live a life that's a little bit less painless. It's about telling people about the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, all of us in this room know people who are living among the tombs. We know people that are more comfortable being in the graveyard, standing among those who are dead. Might we share hope with them?
Might we share Jesus with them? How will you respond today? How will you respond? Will you share hope? Will you share Jesus? I pray that we will.